0: Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. Now, there's a lot happening in the country, not just energy insecurity and ANC elective conference over the next couple of days, everything else in between. Also Christmas on the other side of all of these major news events. But in between, you may or may not have seen a news item that government has initiated legal reform to decriminalize sex work. I think that's really, really interesting. That's quite momentous. There are a lot of social and ethical questions where there's been major shifts around the world, for example, in relation to gay rights, the right to get married and marriage equality. Again, a major debate in the USA at the moment. But when it comes to sex work, it is one of those topics that are still very divisive, even in many liberal democratic societies. And so I asked the Minister, Deputy Minister of Justice and correctional services on one of these portfolios is constitutional development. John Jeffrey to join me for the next 15, 20 minutes or so to help you to understand why our government here in South Africa has again decided to be a leader globally on this particular question and to initiate reform that could end depending on how the entire process goes, including your opinion as the public. Um, In there being law in place, that uh, recognises the full decriminalisation of sex work or prostitution. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius MacKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw... Their children must know this are sellouts. sellout.
1: They put saliva on the paper.
0: Mr. Julius Malema
1: whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm, I'm not going to
0: apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they stole it.
0: John, thanks so much for making time for us. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, Eusebius. John, there's sort of two big parts to this conversation I wanted us to have. Uh, the one which is almost easy, although it's also controversial, is the policy and the regulatory framework and what does this look like in the nuts and bolts and the detail. And I guess in a sense, that's what the little bit of reporting has focused on. But I want to start with a second, which is maybe the elephant in the room, if I can put it in that, in that way, which is to say, to talk around the ethical and cultural challenges when it comes to any kind of proposal around sex work. The way I read it, and I wonder how you do, is that the debate around sex work for decades has been divisive. Because individuals and communities have got so many different intuitions about the importance of sex, where sex fits into the human experience, and whether or not it is so sacrosanct as part of the human experience that it should never be commodified. Could you agree with me that that really is a difficult set of questions about sex and its place in the human experience but it's always lurking in the background of a policy debate about sex work.
1: Yeah, look, I, um, I think it's primarily, I mean, in terms of the, the aspects you're describing, it's primarily linked to religion and your religious beliefs. So your attitude to, to sex hmm. would be informed very strongly by what your religious denomination says, says about it. Uh, and I think for many... Christians, um, there are hmm. provisions or there's a belief that you should, you know, that, well, as you've said, that uh, sex is sanctified, sankrasac- sankrasac- uh, you should not have sex before marriage, um, now, obviously, um, in this day and age, things have eased up quite a bit. People have been given more freedom on the issue. And I think sex before marriage is something that happens probably is more the norm rather than uh, than, than the exception. But I think it's, it's it, uh, one aspect of the debate is, is the issue of religion. Uh, the mm. um,
0: 1957
1: Act, which um, is part of what is being repealed, uh, started off its life off as the Immorality Act. And if you look at the earlier sections, I mean, uh, and I'm just reading from, I and mean, it changed its name to the Sexual Offences Act to make it more palatable, um, I think, as uh, later on. But, I mean, that act, the long title of the act was to consolidate and amend the laws relating to brothels and unlawful carnal intercourse and other acts In relation there too, and there's reference to lots of references to unlawful carnal intercourse or other lewd or indecent purposes. So it was very much a a morality, Hmm. uh, um, a a morality law, and that's been a big part of on decriminalisation, decriminalising or not decriminalising that sex work is immoral uh, from Hmm. that perspective.
0: Now, to immediately cut, and I guess it's an intersection from these ethical, religious, cultural questions that we can reasonably disagree about to the question of policy formulation. We aren't a theocracy, and so while we have a plurality of values, which we are proud of enshrining that pluralism in our constitution, we're also very clear that we are a secular state. But it's a delicate balance because on the one hand, no one person's religious, cultural, or personal beliefs can be the basis of public mores. On the other hand, as a government, you take cognizance, cognizance of what you do with it is a different question, but you take cognizance of what some of the dominant sentiments are. And it's kind of interesting because whether we talk about, for example, um, decriminalizing the use of certain categories of recreational drugs, so whether we allow marriage equality for queer couples, the adoption, rights to adoption of children by gay couples or whether we decriminalize sex work, there's always that constant interplay and temperature checking of where society is at. Which leads me to ask this preliminary question before we deep dive into the regulatory recommendations, John. Why now? Because I suspect on some of these questions, many of you as ministers, deputy ministers, might a long time ago have thought there's a fairly easy jurisprudential answer to whether or not to decriminalize but maybe not yet maybe society isn't ready in 1998 but here we are in 2022 and even the united nations has lauded us for this step that you are initiating was it a question in part of timing?
1: Uh, it's not just a moral morality immorality debate. So there's other aspects. Um, uh, so there would be a, a strong lobby for partial decriminalisation, the, the Nordic model, uh, which would have the view still that um, selling of sex is is or people selling sex is basically uh, degrading to women in particular or to the sex. Obviously, they can be um, any gender, uh, so that's also been an aspect we've got to look at. Uh, there's also been issues of will de- uh, increase the, the possibilities for uh, uh, children to be involved in in selling sex uh, or in human trafficking. So those are all factors that needed to be to be considered. But I think the key push for me is to try and get this issue resolved before the end of term.
0: Okay, I think that's kind of interesting. I do want us to now talk about the different models that were available to you and why we ended up choosing the possibility of full decriminalization. I, I've always had a straight view on this, um, and my, I suppose, piggybacks with my own views about sex and the fact that sex work is work. But when I listen to the Justice Minister articulate the motivation behind this, the initiations, of reforming the law in the way that you've um, expressed, John. Um, A lot of what Ronald has been publicly articulating, which I think is perfectly okay, but uh, in my opinion, it's almost not going the full hog in, in making the case, unless I misunderstand it. And the way I understand it is that the ministry's view is basically... Even the women that you are concerned about, those who are punting at most for partial decriminalization, are unsafe under the status quo because criminalizing sex work doesn't mean that sex work won't happen as a matter of empirical fact. And if it does continue as a trade, but it happens in the shadows, many women end up actually getting trafficked, actually getting abused, and not, for example, having the ability to go and report a crime because you may yourself be harassed or arrested because you are implicating yourself when you are giving the full story of how you came to be victimized. Now, it shouldn't be a bar to getting, obviously, legal protection, but we know in reality, even with creative judgments from someone like Judge Dennis Davis, and, you know, being allowed to even get due compensation for your work at a brothel, it is very difficult if sex work is criminalised to get the law behind you and law enforcement officers. But when I listen to that, I think to myself, that's really, really true, but it's almost like the pragmatic justification for the legal reform, instead of saying, that is part of it, but the other part of it, which is why I started with the cultural and ethical questions, John, is also to say, in addition to these practical considerations around safety, sex work is work. Yeah,
1: remember we are um, politicians, elected leaders, uh, you'd raised earlier, is society ready for this? Um, so so we don't really want to get into mm. a debate at this point as government. Other people can, you can, for example, on the issue of, of um, legitimacy mm. of sex work. Um, So that's why the perspective is, is I think, one that will have broader support. So within the debate, people can argue uh, that sex Mm. work is work. I mean, effectively, in decriminalizing it, uh, it becomes work. Um, So uh, um, if you work in a brothel and you're employed there, uh, you would fall under the Labor Relations Act. Um, you would have to pay mm. tax on your earnings. Um, it, it's it's sort of like any other way, any other income. But the point I'm trying to make is that um, I think it's not, in terms of trying to take society with us, let's mm. look at the... The aspects of which we can get broader support from society on and move forward on on that basis, rather a Mm. a more um, radical or adventurous perspective that would leave some people behind. So what we are asking again to to repeat is uh, let's decriminalize in particular because of the safety of of people involved in in selling sex uh, and um, uh, that's where we are at the moment. Uh, remember, this is a two-stage process. Uh, the first stage is, is uh, the decriminalization, the repeal of the 57 mm. Act, and Section 11 of the uh, 2007 Act, which criminalized the buying of sex. So mm-hmm. um, that's what this bill provides for, and then expungements of criminal records if you were convicted for offenses under those those acts. The second stage would then be, what that means mm-hmm. also then is that existing laws would, would apply. Uh, the second step then is, is the issue of regulation, which is going to be a much more, take a lot longer, uh, issues of the powers of local government uh, versus national government to regulate those, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So it's a two-stage approach. Point, but a process. But the point I'm making is is that um, we're trying to adopt a, a, an angle that can get broader support, broader buy-in from society.
0: Good. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. I had not so much disagreement because I actually thought that his point was immediately correct. Um, private debates with former Justice Edwin Cameron about um, strategic. Activism around important social issues, just as a sidebar comment. And we were talking about, for example, how do you get inside prisons in countries where same sex sex or men who have sex with men have their sexual activities criminalized? And as someone who's not a grassroots activist, um, as you can hear from my questions to you in this conversation, John. I was also clamoring for what I consider, as a philosophy student, the right reasons for the right action. (laughs) And who was saying to me, while there may be ideal reasons for certain kinds of action to be taken, if, for example, from an instrumental outcomes reasoning point of view, one could get, let's say, condoms into prisons in a country where homosexuality is criminalized, but you do so by appealing to non-moral considerations, like the economic benefits of not having an ill population as a result of high levels of HIV prevalence. And you might be able to get really good outcomes from a public health point of view, even if your premises are not moral premises. And I guess, in a sense, that is what you're saying in relation to this debate, isn't it? No,
1: definitely, and that has been what is what has been happening. Uh, so, for example, the sex worker sector has been involved really since the beginning in the South African National AIDS Council, because obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, um, sex spreads is a way of spreading uh, HIV, uh, so you need to target mm. those those uh, those communities. And you would have, I mean, the, the SANEC has been charged, cha- chaired by uh, successive deputy presidents. I think starting with mm. uh, with Jacob Zuma uh, when he was deputy mm. president, and you've had then the deputy president as chair. Sitting in the same meeting with with sex workers who are there as sex workers or representing the sex worker sector, because mm-hmm. it was necessary to to look at the issue of, of trying to in, ensure prevention of HIV, the spread of HIV, um, in the sex worker sector. So um, that that also, I think, led to greater interaction, greater legitimacy. Uh, for the organizations representing Mm -hmm. sex workers. But it was a a utilitarian Mm. uh, approach, basically, uh, rather than a philosophically
0: Mm. uh, intellectual approach. Absolutely, yeah. So just a couple of last questions in the last three, four minutes that we have. The second phase where we will eventually talk about what does regulation look like is probably where the answer to this question will lie But I want you to at least begin to flesh that out for me, even if it's in a preliminary way. If this is in part about increasing the odds of safety being experienced by vulnerable groups like many women that might be finding themselves late at night working on Oxford Street in Johannesburg, how does this law reform get us towards a more safe work environment effectively? Because I can imagine us introducing these reforms, and you can still have pumps that are violent, clients that are violent, some, some not all, some cops that are conservative, just like they are when gay couples report one another at some charge offices. They will laugh at you. So the law can be useful, but it's not a guarantor of changing attitudes on the part of the key actors within the justice sector and value chain. But are you optimistic, and if so, why, that this kind of law reform can have a real chance of having pragmatic outcomes that are positive?
1: Yeah, very much, because what it means is that Sex workers can go and report uh, to the police. Currently, with it being criminalised, it's very difficult for them to do that. Uh, The police could then start Mm. raising questions about, but hey, haven't you, you're coming to report a crime that you got assaulted, but what were you doing oh, you were selling sex, but that's also a crime. At least now that won't be able to happen. Yes, there will be a lot of work that needs to be put into changing attitudes of the police and other service providers, but um, at least mm. it won't be criminal. And that would mean that that a, a sex worker who's been assaulted by a client, assaulted by a pimp, uh, some of the pimp sex worker relations may in fact amount of human trafficking, debt bondage, those kinds of things, at least that sex worker will be able to report it, to say, look, I'm doing something which is not illegal, which is lawful, uh, selling sex, but um, the person who's helping me, my pimp, who's also providing me with some form of protection, is actually doing... A, B, C, D, to me, uh, I'm in debt bondage to him, which then effectively becomes a crime of trafficking. So I think that will make a significant difference. Obviously, changing societal mm. attitudes takes quite a long time. I think that um, yeah. if one looks at, at um, same-sex uh, equality and and um, largely the advances in in equality for lesbians and gays, uh, has been hmm. largely from the courts interpreting the equality clause so some of the issues you mentioned earlier um, but then it's also led to law reform which was also as a result of a court ruling the um, civil unions act um, people's attitudes then or society's attitudes then I think were a lot more negative towards uh, people of a different sexual orientation uh, than they are now so I think things do improve over time as you allow the law to change the law sometimes has to go ahead of of what people are saying and i think Mm -hmm. this is what
0: this is one of the cases where that needs to happen john a very small penultimate question before the last question around language one of the many attempts by the law reform commission to deal with this has over the years actually led to some pretty good laying out of different models and pathways that government can adopt and no doubt your institutional memory is going to be uh, even longer than mine. And in one of them, I remember the preliminary terminology conversation was quite interesting. I can't remember the complete details. I wanted to look it out before you and I chatted and I didn't have the chance. But they actually um, made a case in the preliminary first couple of pages of the commission's work uh, many years ago to suggest that the use of the word prostitution, contrary to what some people's intuitions might be, is actually perfectly palatable and in fact there's something about the word sex work that didn't quite capture what it is that they were investigating um do you have a view on that and how is this conversation framed for you as deputy minister is it sex work is it prostitution or is there some morally odious associations with the word prostitution or not
1: yeah i I mean basically those i mean it, it may be that the word prostitution can be neutral, but I think it is perceived as, as uh, one-sided. And so it gets used more by those opposed to decriminalization uh, and also used by those mm. people who are uh, supporting partial decriminalization on the basis that mm. um, selling sex is degrading to... Uh, the seller, usually the woman, so it's degrading to women. woman. So we, um, you, you would notice that the, I, I can't remember what we use in the bill. We've, we've, the bill is called uh, the sexual offences amendment uh, bill because it amends the sexual offences <laughs> act. Uh, so it's not yeah. called the decriminalization bill. Uh, this technically was a better name. No. Um in the decriminalization yeah. it's the repeal of particular sections so i'm not sure if we do actually use the word a uh, sex work but uh for my to my mind um uh i mean in terms of the, the the sector um it is sex work i mean it's it's selling sex as as a as work so it, it is sex work um that, hmm. that um generally people would find prostitution as being pejorative um and um, uh, it, it's it's uh, yeah. So I I prefer that that kind of of, of terminology. We're not then saying, mm. and this is to go for the broader approach. We're not saying that sex work is good that people should be encouraged to sell sex. Uh, that is entirely up to them mm. uh, what they what mm. what they want to do or not. But the, if people want to sell sex, uh, it, that shouldn't be criminalized. It's a little bit like also on the. Uh, same-sex marriages issue of let people be. Um, If two women want to marry, uh, let them get married mm. but if you are a woman mm. and you don't want to marry another woman well don't you know um <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, absolutely. It be, yeah. people yeah. need to do what they want to do rather than saying that um sex work is good sex work is great um it's up to people as to what
0: they want to do yeah yeah and, you know, american president Joe Biden in one of these more genuinely funny quips rather than his gag jokes moments, made a similar point about their latest legislation to protect at a federal level the right to marriage equality by saying it really is as simple as whoever you want to love, you want to love them and you want to make a commitment to them, then so be it. No one else would stop you as long as these are consenting folks involved in doing so. It's not compulsory. For you to be queer yourself, or bisexual, or pansexual, or whatever the case might be, you've inadvertently answered the last question. But let's let's make it explicit. There are some people, like the, with all due respect, late John Querlanes, that in relation to the rights of queer people, who will come up with arguments that you and I are familiar with, fears about a slippery slope towards sex trafficking being enabled for example or who will see this as an encouragement that your daughters should think about sex work as a potential income stream as much as they do thinking about being a hairstylist or a designer as a potential income stream or who may think that this is just liberalism quote unquote quote unquote gone crazy because of the constitution now, I'm not going to go through the whole gamut but just in less than a minute, finally, John, what do you say to those South Africans who, despite what a, a progressive or a liberal Eusebius thinks, may sincerely, sincerely feel affronted by this kind of legislative reform?
1: The main point I'd want to say is in, in terms of preparing for the bill, I had asked the NDPP how many people have been prosecuted for uh these these provisions that we are appealing, how many people have been prosecuted and even convicted uh um over the past five years. And she came back mm. saying that they actually don't keep statistics on that, but she really doubts if there's any or many. And and it's something I've actually been saying before then, but that was my sense. Mm. So effectively mm. um selling and buying of sex has been has not been criminally enforced. For some time in South Africa, mm. uh, the heavens have not fallen. Um, I, I think people get, a sure. bit, if, if you look at decriminalization of cannabis for private use, that was um, ruled by the court immediately. Uh, no regulation, judgment, yeah. uh, c- consumption for private use is, is decriminalized. People were being prosecuted for mm. consumption of cannabis for private use in large numbers. But with the decriminalisation, yeah. the skies didn't fall. You know, the the I think the arguments raised mm-hmm. on cannabis was that oh, it's going to lead to, it's going to be an entry drug to other c- cannabis may not be that That's serious, right. but other drugs are. And if you take cannabis, you're going to get into these other drugs. That hasn't happened. So I, I, it's not necessarily directly answering your question, but the, the main point on the slippery slope issue that I wanted to raise is that people have been very yeah. afraid of of slippery slope, but really in, in terms of the past and even in terms of decriminalisation, it's not there. Uh, the point of, of, of will it increase um, sex trafficking, uh, that's something we've got to watch out for. We did in the bill look at whether we needed to tighten provisions on, on sex trafficking, uh, but actually felt it wasn't necessary in terms of what's already there. But as the sex workers say, it will mm-hmm. make it easier for them to report colleagues who they think may have been trafficked, or if they have trafficked themselves in terms of debt bondage, they can now report it.
0: Well, I think this is absolutely excellent. I love your approach to this um, as a citizen Um, and the important lines that you have to straddle between staving off the Eusebius Maciasus on the one hand, who want you to do it for certain kinds of stated reasons. And on the other hand, socially conservative folk who are entitled to genuinely held views but who can't necessarily have their views be the basis of public policy in a secular liberal democratic state and i think the way you've articulated it uh, for me makes complete sense let's see how it plays out in the weeks and months ahead deputy minister always a pleasure engaging you always nuanced and thank you so much for coming on the platform despite the busy schedule thanks for having me you